Welcome to Misunderstood, a podcast dedicated to better understanding MS and learning to live well with MS. I'm your host, Katie Sloan. Our usual reminders as we begin, I am not an expert, just a person like you living with MS and trying to make the best of it. Misunderstood is based on my personal experience, what I've learned from my doctors, other healthcare providers, and my own solutions-oriented research and pattern-finding obsession. While the majority of the information I share has been vetted by doctors, I am not a doctor. My intention is that you use the information shared here as a springboard for discussion between you and your doctor regarding your future care options. And lastly, MS impacts each of us uniquely. I hope to shine a light on a wide range of approaches and strategies for living better with MS. But what you choose to do with that information is always your choice. And what works for one may not work for all. Welcome back and thank you to Flock members for your understanding that I needed to take a week off. Listeners, it is with a heavy heart that I tell you today that last Tuesday, July 21st, I had to say goodbye to my sweet Ivy girl, my 13-year-old golden retriever, who has been my trusted companion by my side through so much. She was truly my best bud and most powerful therapy source. We spent a ton of time together, especially after my MS diagnosis and subsequent disability retirement. Since 2016, we've been together pretty much every hour of every day and night and share a very special bond. Moving here two and a half years ago gave us both a new zest for life. And adopting Ryson, our three-year-old Labradoodle, shortly after our move made our family complete. As a couple who has chosen not to have human children, Ivy and Ryson are certainly ours in a way that truly means no disrespect to those of you who have children that are human. My dear friend Jody said it best several years ago when she told me, God has a special way of not letting you know what you're missing out on by not having kids until you have them. And so it's true. I don't know what it would be like or how it would be different to have human children. All I know is Ivy and Ryson and what they mean to us as their parents. And what I know most of all is that I loved that girl like crazy and will continue to love her all the days of my life. One thing above all else that my MS journey has taught me thus far is to be a much better listener to the messages my body is trying to send me, whether it be a physical sensation or a mental message. And so as I listen to my own internal needs and accept the realization that I've never truly learned to grieve, today we're going to take a look at grief and the role it plays in our lives because grief happens to all of us at some time in our lives. Losing a loved one is arguably the most painful thing that anybody can go through. Despite this, coping with grief is an unavoidable part of life that we will all experience at some time or another. For some, it will be something that they will have already experienced multiple times. For others, it may be something they are experiencing for the first time. 
But it doesn't matter how many times we lose someone close to us. The grief that is experienced as a result is always just as real. We may think that grief happens only after the death of a loved one, but we also grieve after any major change in our identity, such as losing a job, a divorce, kids going off to college, moving, or a life-changing diagnosis like MS. No matter the cause, grief can be one of the hardest experiences of our lives. Not only can grief feel emotionally unpredictable, but it is often physically and mentally stressful and exhausting. It also takes a toll on our immune system. And as someone living with MS, I knew that when this time eventually came, I would need to navigate it intentionally to get through it without causing additional MS exacerbations. The vast majority of MS exacerbations are caused by a traumatic event, like a car crash, ski accident, or a death of a loved one, or experiencing extreme prolonged stress. So, learning how to better cope through the hard times is an incredibly important skill set to have in our toolbox of healing strategies. I know that no matter how hard it is for us right now, life does go on. This is inevitable. But because of the lessons we are taught by those whom we love is unique, the most important question to ask ourselves is, what have they taught us about living in both how they chose to live their life and in their passing? So today, we'll look at ways of processing grief and learning to live more intentionally as a way to honor our loved one and keep their legacy alive. You may be wondering why it's so important to learn strategies to process grief beyond grief's ability to trigger an MS exacerbation. And this leads us to something I've mentioned before, the HEAL documentary on Netflix, where they identified nine strategies that dramatically impact our overall health. Today, we're going to look at five of those that are closely related, especially when experiencing grief. Most notably, releasing suppressed emotions, but also increasing positive emotions, deepening your spiritual connection, embracing social support, and having a strong reason for living. Today, we'll focus primarily on releasing suppressed emotions, but all of these healing strategies are intricately related and have all played out in beautiful ways during this past week for me. And they are important to talk about so that we can all face future losses in a more prepared way. This transformative and reflective experience has, for me, illuminated the fact that I also never properly grieved the loss of my grandmother in 2012, my MS diagnosis in 2015, or my loss of livelihood as a professional teacher, trainer, and coach in 2016. So there's been an awful lot of introspection going on simultaneously this past week. Now, first of all, why on earth is it so important to release these suppressed emotions anyway? In The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel A. van der Kolk, we learn how debilitating suppressed emotions can be on our bodies and minds, how traumatic and toxic stress 
literally rearranges the brain's wiring, specifically in areas dedicated to pleasure, engagement, control, and trust. And the effects of said trauma on brain development and our attachment systems. He shows how these areas can be reactivated through innovative processing treatments, including neurofeedback, mindfulness techniques, yoga, and other therapies. Similarly, the incredible Brene Brown says, the body keeps score and it always wins. Who is Brene Brown, you ask? Google her. Seriously. She's nothing short of amazing. She's many things, but most notably to me, the author of five number one New York Times bestsellers, The Gifts of Imperfection, Daring Greatly, Rising Strong, Braving the Wilderness, and Dare to Lead. She also has a YouTube channel and a new podcast. Her bottom line, and I quote, I believe that you have to walk through vulnerability to get to courage. Therefore, embrace the suck. I try to be grateful every day, and my motto right now is courage over comfort. So, today, as I use this space to work through processing my own loss at this time, truly embracing the suck, and having courage to be vulnerable on the journey, I'll share some helpful tips for processing loss that may help you as well, either now or in the future. Before we get started, think for a moment if there's an opportunity for you to release any suppressed emotions, maybe from a previous loss of a loved one or even your own MS diagnosis. And if nothing comes to mind right now, I encourage you to think of this episode as illuminating a path forward for the next time you experience loss, grief, or trauma in your own life. I also invite you to consider revisiting this episode the next time you do experience a loss. In that way, we can process and heal ourselves together. So what is grief and how do we experience it? Grieving is a highly individual experience. Some people find grief comes in stages where they experience different feelings such as denial, anger, guilt, depression, and eventually acceptance and resolution. Others find that their grief is more cyclical, coming in waves or a series of highs and lows. The lows are likely to be deeper and longer at the beginning and then gradually become shorter and less intense as time goes by. Still, even years after a loss, a sight, a sound, a smell, or a special anniversary can spark memories that trigger a strong sense of grief. The grieving process happens naturally and gradually. It can't be forced or hurried, and there is no normal. Whatever our grief experience, it's important that we be patient with ourselves and allow the process to naturally unfold. Feeling sad, shocked, or lonely is a normal reaction to the loss of a beloved. Exhibiting these feelings doesn't mean we are weak or our feelings are somehow misplaced. It just means that we're mourning the loss of someone we loved, and for that we shouldn't ever feel ashamed. Trying to ignore our pain or keep it from surfacing will only make it worse in the long run. 
For real healing, it is necessary to face our grief and actively deal with it. By expressing our grief, we'll likely need less time to heal than if we withhold or bottle up our feelings. This past week, I've relied heavily on some of the tools previously shared in the Mindset and Gratitude episodes, transferring pain into love, rewriting pathways in my brain, mindfulness, gratitude practices, and using those tools to help with the processing journey has been incredibly helpful and therapeutic. They've allowed me to deeply feel, appreciate, and honor, as well as rewire the thinking in my brain to transfer my anguish into positive action. In this way, I will be able to keep Ivy's love and the way she approached life alive. And really, it's a beautiful gift from her, so she can keep on inspiring me to live a better life in her honor and keep her legacy alive. My gratitude for today's episode is for my childhood friend, Lindsay Para. On the morning of Tuesday, the 21st of July, I looked at my 2020 Mystics Almanac, published by Lindsay as the founder and CEO of the Modern Mystics Society. It's a beautiful book, combining many aspects of astrology, symbolism, and mysticism. As Lindsay and I have recently reconnected, now that we are once again neighbors, I've been privileged to become a bigger part of her life through her generous invitation to attend some of her business alchemy sessions through the Modern Mystics Society. These sessions have taught me a lot about right livelihood and living a life in alignment with my personal values. July 21st's almanac theme was transformation, and it said, What if the butterfly had tried to stay a caterpillar? Imagine the struggle, angst, and grief. Instead, the caterpillar follows its original instructions to wear a cocoon, go inside, surrender itself to the mush that is the wise imago cell, and be transformed to emerge a glorious butterfly. The caterpillar may not know what it will become, but it instinctively knows the next right step. When you follow the next aligned step before you, transformation can be as gentle and natural as the butterfly's journey. It is in resistance to transformation that you incite pain, fatigue, and grief. That is not to say there is no grief in the Imago stage. Turning to mush and surrendering to the not knowing is edgy. When you see the signs in your life that transformation is afoot, however, try your hand at letting go and allowing shift. Loosen your grip. Allow the molecules to move and change. When you stir things up, you create room for change. Transformation isn't always easy, but it is a potent and powerful way to align yourself to your true nature. And there's more. The daily guidance. Allow yourself to adapt and change. The inhibitors. Holding on. Fighting change. Trying to hold on to what was. And the allies. Release. Trust. 
awareness, and death. And the day's mantra, I evolve. Reading this message on this particular day was incredibly powerful. While I was not worrying, as I'm really working hard to abide by the 8% rule that only 8% of what we worry about actually happens, I did allow myself to objectively look at the day and strengthen my resolve to do what needed to happen if deemed necessary. I reminded myself of all that I had read about making sure the end is about your loved one, not about us and our emotions. Their last moments should be spent receiving love, not trying to comfort us. I kept focusing on the 8% rule and prayed for good news. When we debriefed the day later that night, both Eric and I had each independently practiced positive visualization that morning. We each saw Ivy in our minds, hobbling out of the vet's office in a cast with her easy smile. We had each put our faith in that and would see where the day led. Sadly, it didn't go in the direction we had hoped, yet in retrospect, I am so grateful for the gift Lindsay gave me so that I was ready to handle whatever was in store in a way I could be proud of, and more importantly, would honor my love and gratitude for my Ivy girl and release her from her pain, allowing her to transform to her next chapter and me to mine. So let's look at some of the advice out there about ways to process grief. As we go through them, I'll also share some personal commentary on what I've noticed this week in my own journey of processing grief. Practice mindfulness meditation and gratitude. Grief can often feel like chronic stress and have similar impacts on the body. Research shows that just 20 to 30 minutes of twice daily mindfulness practice can alter how our brains process stress in about eight weeks. Mindfulness practice during grief can help our mind and body find precious moments of peace during this difficult time. It also helps us sleep better and is a crucial foundation for developing healthier habits during our grief journey. This is definitely something that has helped me a lot this past week. At least twice a day, I have gone outside to some of Ivy's favorite spots in the yard and just spent time thinking about her, what she meant and continues to mean to me, and how I can live my best life moving forward, with her no longer by my side, but always within my heart. The lessons are coming, powerfully and frequently. And learning from this hardship will continue to guide me in living a more purposeful life full of love and joy. Live life to the fullest. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. Death can be expected or unexpected. Either way, there is no knowing when our final curtain will fall. So as cliche as it may sound, we really ought to live every day as though it is our last. There are no guarantees in life. Make every moment count, and as difficult as it may be, try to take nothing for granted. We shouldn't live in fear of death, 
but we should definitely use its presence as a reminder that life is for living now and not in the uncertain future. Reach out to others who have experienced similar losses. If your own friends and family members are not sympathetic, find someone who is. Often, another person who has also experienced a similar loss may better understand what you're going through. Prepare for the ups and downs. Although some people experience grief in stages, most of us have either easy days or hard days. Being gentle with ourselves as we ride the waves of grief is important. We should try to not feel discouraged if we are feeling better one day and wake up the next day feeling worse. Holidays, birthdays, anniversaries, music, even the return of our loved one's favorite TV show can bring on unexpected and intense grief. This is normal. Being prepared for these ups and downs can help. This is definitely something I've noticed this week. I have worn a mantra bracelet for years that says healing comes in waves. And this type of healing is no exception. Understanding and also expecting grief to come unexpectedly has been a beautiful thing. Having my heart perpetually open to feeling it and actively looking for it has been very therapeutic. Get organized. Unfortunately, grief is hardly ever only an emotional experience. Mountains of to-dos usually accompany a loss. Bills may need to be paid. Arrangements must be made. Belongings sorted and donated. Rooms or other spaces need to be cleaned out. All of these things can feel overwhelming when we feel we have few emotional resources at our disposal. Much of what I've had to do so far this week has been stopping auto shipments. We've done some cleaning and started talking about sorting and donating, but we're also giving ourselves time for that and only taking care of what absolutely must be done now. Rather, we're focusing on ways to restructure our lives and our home and yard so that we can honor this transformation in beautiful ways that keep Ivy's spirit alive rather than closing the chapter and moving on. So we've started some new traditions with ricin and returned to some old routines that went by the wayside during the caregiving phase when our attention was needed elsewhere. We've also had long discussions about Ivy's favorite places in our yard and home and how we can purposefully place remembrances so that we are regularly reminded of all that she meant and continues to mean to us. Eat mindfully. While grieving, we might not feel hungry or be able to tell when we're full. Our stomach can feel tied up in knots. By practicing mindfulness when we eat, we will better focus on eating fresh, healthy food to make sure we have the physical resources available to nurture our emotional resilience. It can be especially hard when we are suddenly cooking for one less. If it weren't COVID times, inviting over company, temporarily eating more meals out, or starting new meal routines and traditions can be helpful. And there's nothing wrong with finding new takeout places to enjoy for a while while we adjust to a new normal. 
look after ourselves and up our self-care. The stress of loss can quickly deplete our energy and emotional reserves. Looking after our physical and emotional needs will help us get through this difficult time. Continue to exercise regularly. Stress is not only difficult to experience mentally and emotionally, but it takes a physical toll as well. If we are healthy enough to do so, exercising regularly helps us mobilize our physical resources to better manage our stress. It boosts our vitality and our immune system. The past few months, Ivy was unable to go on our usual daily walks. In solidarity, Ryson didn't want to go without her. So our usual walking routine went by the wayside for a while. It's been a silver lining for sure to get the three of us out there walking every day together again. We live in a beautiful neighborhood with rolling hills and gorgeous vistas, so it's extremely therapeutic to be out there together each morning. And of course, we think of Ivy as we walk and all the memories we have of our walks together. Honor our grief with ritual and create a legacy. Rituals can be empowering and help to give our mind focus. Rituals can also give us a sense of control over what feels totally uncontrollable, the ups and downs of grief. Lighting a candle, going to a favorite spot in nature, using prayer or other rituals. All of these can help us get through the hard days and assist in our healing. Preparing a memorial, planting a tree in memory of our loved one, sharing a photo album, or otherwise sharing the memories enjoyed together with others, creates a legacy to celebrate the life of your lost companion. Remembering the fun and love shared can help us to eventually move on. We are actively putting new rituals in place to honor Ivy's legacy. Returning to the daily walks is one way. Spending time in Ivy's favorite spots. Thinking about her as I prune the roses she used to lay by and stick her nose in and inhale deeply has been therapeutic as well. We've also continued our nighttime routine. In our super techie home, Eric says goodnight to Google, who then runs through an entire routine of information we request, like tomorrow's weather, for instance, the thermostat settings to keep us comfortable overnight, and the setting of our morning alarms. And then Google says goodnight to Eric. He in turn says goodnight to me. I say goodnight to Ivy. He says goodnight to Ryson, and I reply, in Ryson's voice, of course, goodnight, Dad. And we have decided to keep this routine as is, at least for now. It's a heartwarming routine that is a nice way we can honor Ivy and all she meant and continues to mean to our family unit. Reach out. Consider seeking professional help. We all benefit from having someone to talk with who is a caring listener. Grief can feel punishingly lonely. People who know us may not know what to say or how to say it. Reach out anyway, in a way you are comfortable with. Caring for your loved one previously occupied your time and boosted your morale and optimism. 
Try to find that time by finding a worthy replacement that brings joy to your life. This is especially helpful when grief is persistent and interferes with our ability to function. Be true to yourself. The human lifespan is, in fact, very short, and in that comes the lesson that we should always be true to ourselves. A life of no regrets is one that was lived in alignment with the true self. Sometimes, when somebody in our life dies, it serves as a reminder that some things just do not matter. For example, the opinions of people around us. A death can remind us that our happiness and being true to ourselves is what is most important of all. Why live a life to please others if it means having to be somebody else? It's been informative to take note as to who has shown up for us during this time. We've experienced some real heartwarming surprises here with extremely touching tributes from people who knew and loved Ivy, and even some who never met her, but knew how much she meant to us. Sure, some people don't feel as deeply with the loss of a pet, and that's understandable. And some people don't know what to say, so they choose to say nothing at all. What this experience has shown us is that it matters who shows up, and it has revealed a lot to us about our relationships. And that is important information as we begin to navigate life without Ivy. Setting goals for your grief. Aside from checklists of tasks and responsibilities, we've been trying to visualize the kind of life we want to be living, the kind of people we want to be around, and what kinds of healthy activities we want to be doing. In this way, we can harness the power of grief in a positive way. Life does go on. The most important lesson that we can learn from the death of a loved one is that life does go on. At first, when somebody we love deeply has to leave us, it may seem as though the world has come to a complete standstill. We know that life as we knew it will never be the same. At the same time, it's important to remember that while we are still here, we should be dedicated to living our life to its fullest. That's truly what our loved one would want for us. An important lesson that we can learn about ourselves after the death of a loved one is that we are a lot stronger than we realize. We can find our way through the grief celebrate both our life and the life of the one we have lost. Living our life to the fullest is the greatest way that we can honor those we have lost. Ivy's passing and how we've navigated this past week has been a truly transformative experience, and setting goals for my life moving forward in a way that feels authentic and honors her and all she lived for seems right. She spent her time doing what she loved and around people that she loved. She spent time in the garden, always stopping to smell the roses, the fresh-cut grass, the mist from the pond. She ate to live, not lived to eat. So monitoring what I eat is an important reminder she provides. Ivy gravitated toward people who were outwardly loving towards her. 
We could tell who she loved and who she tolerated. When people left our home, she noticed who said goodbye to her and who just walked away. So did we. And so now I am making intentional decisions on how and with whom I spend my time. For our time is the most precious gift we can give, since we never get that time back to give in a different way or give to someone else. As I mentioned earlier, it was important to me that Ivy's last moments with us be about her and not our grief. I will always be proud how we navigated that extremely difficult time. Afterwards, however, it was time to feel all the feels. And for me, this was, and still is, intense and raw. I'd like to share a little more about some of the things we've done together as a family this week in an effort to work through our grief together, starting with that first evening. We came home, reunited with Ryson, and took him outside into our safe haven and Ivy's favorite place to be, our glorious backyard. First, we had a toast in my grandmother's glasses of a local blood orange liqueur. It's the color of Ivy's fur and the taste of pure, sweet heaven. We've toasted her each evening since. I spent some time that afternoon reading about grief, which was the impetus of this episode. Concurrently, Eric chose to listen to music, and when we went outside a bit later to watch the sunset together and continue our celebration of Ivy's life, Eric completely blew my mind and opened my eyes to the true power of music. I've always found comfort in music, and being a musician, I know how powerful music can be. Most people have probably experienced that magical moment at a concert where one or two or maybe even three songs hit you really hard. But I've never actually used music as an intentional tool for healing before now. Did you know that you can do a simple YouTube or Google Music search to find playlists to help you process grief? Eric simply typed in songs about losing your dog, losing someone special, honoring those you love, and songs about loss, to name a few. So for an entire evening, as the sun slowly set, we sat outside watching the sun, and listened to these playlists together. We also shared favorite memories, funny stories, and shed many tears. We also played with Ryson, held him close, and talked about ways we could honor Ivy as a family in the days and years to come. This experience taught me that although I often seek refuge and comfort in research, music can be a much more powerful tool. So I hope to remember, and I hope you remember too, to lean on music when you need to process grief and other emotions too. Just do a search and the playlist you are meant to hear will reveal itself. Another tool I would be remiss if I didn't mention is medicinal marijuana. While I don't smoke, I do use edibles for pain and sleep and recently stress, anxiety, and depression. 
It's incredibly effective on many of my MS symptoms, and I will share more about that in an upcoming episode. Sometimes, medicinal marijuana hits me harder than usual. Often that's when I'm in a certain phase of my cycle, but other times it's seemingly random. And that night was one of those nights, maybe because I was so emotional. One of the beautiful things that happens with medicinal marijuana is that it turns down the volume of the noise in my head, and I'm able to focus on feeling in a very different way than I can without it. Things seem more simple, succinct, and clear. And also sometimes things seem magical, and I'm able to drift into a calm and somewhat dreamlike state that is the perfect place for introspection, meditation, and mindfulness. That night, I visualized many things that comforted me. I heard my grandma Lorraine with Ivy telling her, lay down in her sweet, soothing voice. It made me happy to know my grandma was there to comfort Ivy through this transition, that she could help Ivy adjust to being at peace, not physically being with us anymore. I saw the tree in our neighbor's yard just over our fence line that plays with the setting sun this time of year. And that night, the tree looked like me sitting cross-legged with Ivy next to me, with us hugging and smiling at each other with love. The tears streamed a lot that night, watching her sunset and the rise of her crescent moon. Before we went inside for the night, we had a big family hug in one of her favorite spots, and I recited the words of Ivy's favorite song that I've sung to her since bringing her home as a puppy. We came inside, and shortly after, I heard Ivy's voice in my head. But you didn't sing it to me, Mama. I knew I needed to do this for us both. So I went back outside and sang it softly to her as the last of the sun's lingering light sunk below the horizon. When I finished, immediately dogs in the neighborhood started barking, as if to say, we are with you in this moment. It was a beautiful moment to savor. Going through this loss has taught me much already, and I'm certain the lessons will keep coming. If you recall, we were originally going to talk about boundaries today, and yet it's so interesting how life unfolds to reveal a clearer path forward, because that topic is a big one, and I'm realizing not completely unrelated to how we process grief and trauma. I firmly believe that everything happens for a reason. Sometimes we just have to look deeper to find it, or don't see it until it's far behind us in the rearview mirror. To honor Ivy, we've been actively searching for silver linings amidst the loss. And just like she did everything with gusto when still walking amongst us, she's hitting it out of the park as far as what we are learning to take with us from this experience and the tremendous loss we feel. Through it all, we are listening with open hearts. One reflective tool I learned in my recent mind-body medicine course is to reflect on an experience in two ways. One, what you will take with you from an experience, and two, what you will leave behind. I'm still figuring out exactly what I'm taking with me. New things seem to be added to that list daily, but I will share a few at the very end of this episode. 
As time goes on, we will see even more silver linings, but already some unanticipated gifts have revealed themselves. Uninterrupted meals, relaxing time on the couch with Eric, putting my feet up at the end of a long day versus being on the floor most of the night with her, sleeping all night through, learning not to listen while I sleep for any little peep, Ryson taking all of his special toys to Ivy's tree when we play fetch. So many beautiful gifts, and I'm so grateful to carry on with them to comfort me. At the same time, I'm certainly ready to leave behind a few things too. I will leave behind the sleepless nights for both Ivy and I. The pain, her pain, and also my pain from spending so much time with her on the floor these past few months. Exacerbated by the lack of physical therapy, my body has seized up and spasticity is again at an all-time high. The whimpering in the rare moments I was away from her toward the end, and how at times it sounded like chirping birds. In fact, both Eric and I had at times thought she was whining when in fact it was the baby birds outside. At first, it was hard to hear the birds as the sound reminded us of her in pain. But now we are transitioning to hearing them as a message that she is no longer in pain, and the chirps now and in the future will signify new life of the birds, this and every summer, her favorite season. One other tool I used just last night commemorating one week of living without her was using imaginary conversations for healing. If you recall, I shared about this strategy in a previous episode where I had a conversation with my neurologic itch. Side note, here's an update. The itch is so much better. I haven't changed anything except for what was revealed in the conversation and what we agreed to. So for me, this strategy really seems to work. Well, this time I had a conversation with Ivy. I had a moment last night where I was abruptly woken up and I immediately listened for her thinking it was her. When I remembered she was no longer here, I was enveloped in sadness and doubt crept in as it has several times this past week. Did I make the right decision? Was it really time? Was there truly nothing else that could have been done? Or other questions I should have asked? Rather than ignoring my thoughts and trying to go back to sleep, I grabbed Ivy's favorite toy, a large three foot long stuffed shark named Chum that is now wearing her collar and sleeping between us in our bed. I got down on Ivy's bed, closed my eyes, held on to Chum, and had a conversation with Ivy. She reminded me of all the messages she had sent to me to let me know it was time. How the last few nights she had tried to stay extra close to me, and had also tried to find comfort in the darkest corners of the room. How she had stood up in the middle of the night and just looked at me with love. How she had walked Ivy Avenue the previous day, her favorite path in the yard amongst her roses, even though it was clear each step was a hardship. But she wanted to go there just one more time to enjoy it and leave her mark. How she had inspired me to go back, 
to watch our outdoor nest camera to see her hanging out on the grass the day before her passing. Looking around, giving thanks to her yard, yet also quite visibly struggling to move around. And further conversation yielded three real heartbreaker messages. One, that the whimpering was because she could manage the pain if I was with her, but it became too much to bear when I wasn't next to her touching her. Two, that she was so sorry that she couldn't hold on any longer for me. She told me how she watched for years, how much I care for people in my life, and how I always try to make people smile or leave a shared space in a better place than when they came. And so, even in her pain, she wanted to be that and do that for me by smiling through her pain to make me happy. And three, she thanked me for the great lifetime of memories we shared and told me that she hoped she had taught me enough about unconditional love to be able to better recognize it in my own life moving forward and truly honor those special relationships by prioritizing them in my life. She ended the conversation by asking me to focus on loving myself like she did and to see myself through her loving eyes instead of my own which can be quite self-critical at times. And that, dear friends, honoring her wishes is how I plan to keep her legacy alive in my life. The biggest takeaways I hope you leave with today, pay attention to how people show up in your life for you. Do they respect your needs and your pain? Are they there showing compassion for you when you need it most? And as promised, here are some of Ivy's intuitions or some of her early teachings this experience has taught me that I'm taking with me and using to further guide my path forward. Love those who love you in the way you need to be loved. Those are your people, your true family. Put your energy into those relationships. Life is short. Our greatest gift is our time. We each have a finite amount of time on this planet, and the most important thing we can do is be intentional in how we use it, for time is a gift that we never get back. Stop and smell the roses. Always notice and appreciate the abundant beauty of this world. Embrace intentional living. Filter everything through a should versus want lens. Listen to your internal compass and embrace the hard no and hard yes. Anything else? Marinate on it and make a decision later rather than give in to shoulds. Allow yourself to feel. Celebrate the fact that you are a highly sensitive, empathetic, and caring human. Not all can say that. It's a beautiful way to be, even if it means some moments, like this, can be extra challenging. Growing up, I didn't learn how to process grief. We'd awkwardly bebop around until enough time had passed to basically act like it never happened and resume a sense of normalcy. This loss is so significant for me, and since MS has taught me to better listen to my internal messaging system, I've finally realized how that approach has not served me well, 
especially as a highly emotional and caring person. So this time around, I am feeling all the feels. I am retreating from responsibilities that do not serve me at this time or make me feel like I don't want to be there. Yep, I'm definitely done with the shoulds. Following this and every podcast, I offer Zoom sessions for our Patreon listeners to discuss the episode's topic together. I hope you will join us. Become a patron on patreon.com slash msflock for the Zoom session schedule and invitation links. Membership is only $1 a month to access these important flockings and to access more content and social opportunities. Next week, we'll head into our boundary work together, and we'll also have Dr. Peyrovi back soon to talk more about her strategies for healing. Have something going on in your life that you'd like some help with? Feel free to submit future podcast topics, questions, comments, or guest ideas to mymsflock at gmail.com. Until next time, be thinking about how you can process and release any suppressed emotions you may currently have, what lessons you can glean from losses you have experienced in your life, and also develop somewhat of a plan for how you want to navigate any future loss or grief that comes your way. Think about losses you've experienced. What have you taken with you from those losses? And what have you finally left behind that no longer serves you? Flock members, I'm looking forward to our meeting on Saturday and hope you will bring some reflections of your own regarding processing loss and ways you've found to honor a loved one's legacy. Lastly, remember, as we travel through life with MS, we're certain to hit some turbulence. We'll get through it, especially if we're flying together supporting one another. My sincere gratitude to everyone who flew with me this week and to everyone who continues to be with me in my grief, not trying to pull me out of it, but just being with me amidst all the feels. Thank you. It matters beyond words. Thank you all for listening, especially to this episode that was both difficult for me and also tremendously therapeutic. Until next time, be well.